You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, beginning chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The word of the Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's a great honor and a privilege to be with you here uh, once again. Thank you, uh, Andrew, for the invitation. And it um, was almost 16 years ago where as a young, uh, a young sort of new um, Anglican convert, I worshipped here uh, for the first time. And ever since then, this church has remained um, an incredible um, sort of source of, of comfort and strength for me personally. And so I can send only, not only personal greetings, but from St. Francis in the Fields and all of our uh, sort of uh, shared uh, co-laborers in the gospel. We bring you greetings from, from Louisville, uh, Kentucky, which is how you would pronounce it. So uh, I have this interesting opportunity today, as all these preachers do, is you don't sort of know the congregation and you have this opportunity to sort of have a um, uh, sort of quick hit, as it were. So today's sermon is not really one of two parts. Don't worry, there will be a, the land of the plain. But you could, you could sort of understand it more as an anthology, you know, like Electric Dreams, if you've been watching that, and uh, Netflix. So that there's some similarities between now and tomorrow, so you may want to come back or maybe, maybe not, we'll see. Um, but today we are going to begin a two-day sort of reflection on some great Lenten themes. This is um, what I've been walking through my own congregation with is that this is the time in the church's wisdom and the seasonal sort of aspects of it where we are given the opportunity to take a moment to reflect on the uh, walk, as it were, to Good Friday. Obviously, in light of Easter morning, we we worship in light of this great hope, but we are often, uh, we're given this opportunity each year to reflect and to pull back and to, as it were, turn face to face with the cross and have a moment of of introspection, of reflection. And that's what we're going to do um, today and tomorrow, because the great question for you all, uh, it's it's less obvious for you than it is for me, is exactly why you're here. 
Uh, this is what I do. This is what I do. This is what we, we um, sort of have been called to. But you, in Birmingham in 2018, in the middle of a Thursday, a, a sort of a nice warm Thursday, um, uh, in, in the middle of the city, what has brought you here to the church? What has brought you to this place where you're listening to someone talk about the Bible for um, the sake of your soul? This is what we want to sort of open up just a little bit here today because this is part of our process of walking towards the cross. So in the reading today, we heard one of Jesus' most famous statements where he says, calling to the crowds, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Well, in this statement to his disciples and the gathered people, Jesus talks about his cross, one that Peter had found so appropriate just minutes before. And yet there was something about the cross that would become, as we know, the central aspect, the defining characteristic, the, the, the word of the cross would in fact become constitutive of the gospel message itself. And I'm not surprised at that because at the heart and at the intersection of the cross lies an answer, however understood, to one of the great and enduring problems of life. And that's the question of pain, of evil, of death, of dying. This is the great question that the cross provides an answer, however unsatisfying, to this universal reality of our human existence. Now, our modern world has sort of dealt with this in an interesting way. Some of you um, may know in 1755, there was a great earthquake in Lisbon, which was right in sort of the, the, sort of the meat house, uh, the, 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 the sort of wheelhouse of the, the Enlightenment, and the philosophers were sort of all uh, scrambling over each other to begin to try to explain how this great and terrible evil could have taken place. This, this city was entirely wiped out almost, and all these innocent people suffered. And we had people, uh, great um, intellectuals like Immanuel Kant was incredibly marked by this. We had uh, Gottfried Leibniz who famously said, well, this, this, in light of God's goodness, must just simply be the best of all possible worlds, even with earthquakes. And, of course, to the people who had lost family and friends and children, not the least of which the great uh, philosopher Voltaire began to mock this position, saying this is a joke. This cannot be the best of all possible worlds, a world where suffering and pain and dying lives. And in this sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, the, the groundwork of this grew our modern question of what we call theodicy. Now stick with me. That simply just means the person who raises their fist to the heavens and says, why God? Justify yourself, God. Why is there this suffering, evil, and pain in the world? And so this, in a certain sense, for our modern understanding, this was when the question came to its acute point and it has not left our discourse. We know this, you know this, in the midst of not simply the news cycle, but your own life, when you are actually confronted with and brought face to face with the reality of pain and suffering and injustice and evil, that makes you, as it has from the beginning, stare at the heavens. Why, God, how is this happening to me? Now, the idea, which is incorrect, is somehow this is a new idea. People may have a little bit more audacity to speak it with such brazen sort of um, uh, openness today as they may have in the past, but the point remains that the, the uh, past remains, or the people in the past are just as affected by this universal reality 
as people in the present and as they will be in the future because it is that, that universal reality that unites us across time and space with people who for sure had a different technological uh, aspects than we did back 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years from now will be much different in the same way but we will be united by these great realities of human life, suffering and then the subsequent question of God. You see, of all of the abstract realities of life, all of the sort of ideals, um, uh, goodness, truth, beauty, these things that we can aspire to, the one that is universal and undeniable is pain. It's not imagined. This is not something that you, you read about and sort of come to an agreement upon. You know and you define it and you experience it in your own way. And the physical reality of it is the least important. Emotional, relational, psychological, existential. You know that these pains are the ones that keep you up at night, that keep you um, uh, sort of uh, anxious the ones that continue to have you, along with the rest of the world, stare up at the heavens, saying, why God? Why is this happening to me? Well, Jesus has something to say to this. It's not something we necessarily want to hear, but when it becomes clear as to what he has said, it becomes, in a certain sense, the only sermon that we ever need. Let's go back to our uh, reading from uh, Mark. He, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is one of these sort of what the um, uh, sort of mystics would call a thin place. It had for many centuries before been a site of pagan worship. So people had brought their worship to their gods, however understood. And then when the Romans took over, then they just stamped it with their own gods. So Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. And so it had been a place where for generations people had worshipped God as they understood him, them, it to be. So Jesus brings his disciples to this very place and begins to ask them, who do you say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Well, some people say this, that, or the other. And he finally looks at Peter and says, who do you say, Peter? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus immediately do? He begins to teach them about how the Messiah must suffer and be crucified, and yet would rise three days later. And Peter's response, which is our response, which will be the response until Jesus grabs our hearts by his spirit alone, is that cannot be. You cannot be talking about the way of God in this world when you talk about suffering and death. Jesus, you are entirely missing the point of what God is going to do in the world. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan, for you have your ideas on the things of man and not on the things of God. You see, Jesus brought them to Caesarea of Philippi to reveal to them a deep truth about not only who God is, but about the depths to which he would go to save. You see, he entered into this darkness of our world to take upon himself the sins that we have committed so that his followers would not be then surprised when the inevitable and actual realities of walking into a broken world take place, i.e. suffering, death, and the cross. And they would be people who at that point 
would know where to turn. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul talks about, the word of the cross. Because that people carry crosses in this sinful and broken world is unavoidable. The direction towards which they carry their cross is the mark of a Christian. This is what Jesus came to show his disciples, what he inaugurated by his own life and death and resurrection for the world and the inexorable march and the the, the unextinguishable beacon of light amidst the darkness towards which his disciples walk, carrying their cross, knowing that one day this suffering, which seems so aimless, seems so hopeless, seems so meaningless, actually will find its redemption in him. See, this is one of the great insights of many religious traditions, as it were, is that life is hard and suffering is real and pain is a reality. That's true. But we say these things simultaneously as those who affirm Good Friday with Easter morning, saying that this is not the final word and that our suffering is in service of proclaiming and lifting up the God who has come to save. That's why we baptize little babies, cute little babies who seem so cherubic and and innocent. And we say, well, sweetheart, you're going to grow up to be just like me and just like my parents and just like their parents before them. Namely, people who are going to walk in this world having to carry a cross. And we're going to tell you exactly which direction to walk. Towards whose voice you can follow and in whose light you will now be bathed. This is our great hope. William Cooper who's a great hymnist, who was a friend of John Newton's, who was a part of the people who wrote the Olney Hymn Book, has a wonderful book, uh, hymn, rather uh, appropriate, called Fountain Filled with Blood. And in this hymn, he has a line where he says, Ever since by faith I saw that stream flow freely from his side, redeeming love will be my theme and shall be till I die. You see, this Lent we have an opportunity, as we do every year, to reflect on the days leading up to the cross by walking with Jesus, walking, as it were, through the valley of the shadow of death, but not as those without hope nor as those without an understanding of the person to whom we are walking, because he has gone through it. He stands on the other side, beckoning his people to do not lose hope, to do not lose heart, and to suffer with the sins of the world for the sake of the gospel so that others might be brought within his saving embrace. And we stand, as the Apostle Paul will say tomorrow, as we'll hear, as those who have been crucified with Christ, not alone on a cross, not accidentally on a cross, not mysteriously crucified, painfully to be sure, But we are those who have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. The life we now live, this life of the valley of the shadow of death, we now live by faith in the one who has come, seen, died, redeemed, and saved us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.